Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Sean. Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei, the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast. A couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Bullets been dodged. You're talking about the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, I think. I'm not getting drunk this episode. <laughs> I'm having a beer. That's fine. That's just fine. It'll make me kind of burpy, not unbelievably burpy the way I would be if we had gotten to that Mornhammered. I am editing an episode of Star Trek Burpcast as we speak. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was our uh, Talaxian Champagne episode. That's Now, that's a burpy episode. You know, Descript does a good job of removing placeholder words. <laughs> does not do a good job with flatulence. It's something I'm going to have to take up with their uh, their programmers over on their, right. on their Discord. Yeah. We are... On square 97 of the game of buttholes right now. That's right. I wonder, does rolling the dice now give us a 50% chance of hitting a Mornhammered? We can't overshoot, right? It forces us to do the Mornhammered if we if we roll three yeah. or up. Yeah, that but, is how it goes. So it's more than a 50% chance. Yeah. I mean, a, a two is the only roll that we can get that, that gives us a regular ep. Yeah. Boy. That's a one out of six chance. People are going to absolutely hate us. People already absolutely hate us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what they were saying, but somebody on the Reddit just said something like, absolutely cruel about us. And I was like, I cannot imagine belonging to a Reddit about a show that I hate as much as this person clearly hates our show. Yeah. Like, this person clicked subscribe on a Reddit... Of a show they don't like. What the fuck? I think you just described the internet and just uh, <laughs> what people like to do there. I guess so. I spent a good long time off of the internet this last week. Yeah. Felt nice. Felt like a good thing. Yeah. And then I came back and, and immediately fought with someone on Reddit. Did you really? <laughs> they said something about us not really trying on the show anymore, and I took great umbrage with that because you can say just about anything about me or the show. Yeah. But uh but don't you fucking dare say that we don't work hard on it. We I think work. that is irrefutably <laughs> false. It is irrefutably false. It's uh in many ways harder work than the real jobs we left to do this. I fought with that person on Reddit when I was editing an episode on a plane flying <laughs> home from a vacation last night. So <laughs> So I was I was in a place. Yeah. I mean, hopefully the the work we put in doesn't seem strenuous like you don't want it to feel effortful you want the the listening experience to be like wow they just tossed that off amazing right it it takes a lot of work to sound this dumb <laughs> really does man well uh jerks on the internet eh what are you gonna do <laughs> you know what it's it's fun to be doing a thing that matters to people in both directions right that's a good way of thinking about it um i i I need to come back to that more often. I'm just talking about Star Trek with my friend. That's the resting yeah. state. Yeah. No better partner to that experience than one Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. The man uh, at the helm of today's episode. It's 
Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 7. Perturbation. <laughs> Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Do you think Frakes was uh, just tossing off the title of this episode? No way. Hey, directing a new episode, Parturition? I don't think anyone outside of the writer had a hand in naming this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's one of those rare like one writer credit episodes on on Star Trek Voyager. I feel like when you're Jonathan Frakes, uh, famously playing the part of uh, consent fetishist Will Riker. Yeah. Probably requesting a, a baby episode to direct mm-hmm. off and on, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, if there's one with a weird puppet, uh, throw it my way. <laughs> Star Trek has a mixed history with uh, with the puppetry, <laughs> as we'll find out later on in this episode. Yeah. Is it mixed even, or is it just all bad? Mm, depends. <laughs> I guess it depends on how you think about puppetry. Um, we we open this episode, and it is loud and scary. We're in shuttlecraft race. yeah. In 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 media butthole. Yeah. Hey, Paris and Kess are in a bunk bed. Neelix must be pissed. Yeah. Really plants the seed right up top. What are they doing together on the shuttle? Yeah. And why does Kess know so much about shuttlecraft shit? She's uh, she's studying up. You know, we just celebrated her second birthday in the last episode, and we've talked yeah. a lot about Kess recently. One thing that really like hit me like a ton of bricks that I kind of forgot to bring up on the last episode is if she's two years old, like her capacity to learn is really amazing. Like, yeah, I think that humans know like a million words or something. Like I think most people walking around like know a million words of their language. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I think you and I probably average that, but you're more like, one million three hundred thousand and i'm like and i'm like seven hundred thousand i may be off on the number but it's like a really really high number like that and so like the thing that's amazing about it is how many words per day you have to learn to get to that over the course of your childhood and like if if you're two and like as far as anyone can tell a fully like cognitively developed adult that's able to learn about like shuttlecraft emergency procedures also her brain is is amazing do you think if you sat down and your project was i'm gonna write every word i know (laughs) do you think that's that's a project that, that a person could actually do Mm, i would advise against it i think you could probably do a lot more productive shit with your time I don't know. I think I'm going to try it. I mean, you you learned a new word today, Adam. Parturition. Par, parturition. <laughs> parturition. Yeah. Parturition. Ankylosaur. An episode title that could have gone on the one where Cass develops a, a, a baby bag on her back, but right. instead they saved it for this one for some reason. Cass having just had that significant birthday... You want to bring the birthday kid to uh, to an amusement park if yeah. you can, if that's possible. Flight simulator. Yeah, and, and this is like the next best thing, right? Like flight simulator 2371, <laughs> uh, the latest and greatest from the Microsoft Corporation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. You want to get one of those graphics cards that's almost impossible to find because of the Bitcoin mining concerns <laughs> that are buying them up. If you want to actually fly the shuttlecraft, you have to spend a lot of in-game money. What it's going to do 
in Flight Simulator 2371 is it's going to start you on a Cessna. There's going to be no complex airplane <laughs> scenery at the airport around you. Just going to be line drawn out of hell. She's doing her training flight. Tom Paris is flight instructor Paris throwing some curveballs at her. Clogging someone's plasma injectors is a dirty trick. Kind of a dark moment in this interaction when, you know, Paris resets the game after she wins the first time. And and he's like, uh, now you get to learn how to land. And Kess is like, I don't need to learn how to land. <laughs> and he's like, oh, all right. Well, huh. nothing concerning there. I'm not going to tell anybody about that. <laughs> and she's like, good. I'd prefer you didn't. And he's like, well, I won't. Yeah, I'd prefer you just keep that part to yourself. (laughs) And then a banger gets dropped on the shuttle. And uh, she she suggestively falls into his arms. Very fun bit of Austin Powersing she does here. I made a sexy mistake. And the the shuttle is being attacked by ticks. I didn't think we'd see any ticks on uh, on Voyager. They, uh, They leave... The holodeck, you know, like almost arm in arm, but not. They're like arm swinging. They're so happy, you yeah. know, like they had a great time in there. They're a couple of good time buddies having a, a real fun hang with each other. And uh, that does not wash with the creepy man that is l- lingering in the hallway nearby. Yeah. Neelix was very concerned that something untoward might be going on in that bunk bed. And... uh and he sees evidence to confirm his deepest fears. Neelix narrows his eyes, taking great umbrage with what he's seeing. I thought an interesting uh, choice to, like, episode order-wise, I think. Like, I guess the last episode they'd, they'd had shot and on the shelf for months by the time they made this one. And there's that interesting interchange between Neelix and Chakotay about Whence jealousy, right? Like the, yeah. the fact that you're vulnerable with this person that you love and worried that they could hurt you. And and and, and now like the knife is getting twisted. It's getting worse for Neelix, not better. Her perfume is all over Paris's uniform now. <laughs> it's weird. Like we're, we're told Kes is such an empath, but she can't seem to tell how Neelix is is at boil. He's he's about to boil over yeah. over this. Was she rocking the medallion? Was did she have the the locket from the last episode? That's a great question. I don't think she does. We need some locket continuity here. Yeah. Lack of locket continuity is a big problem on Star Trek Voyager. Um also lack of uh haircut continuity for the captain. Yeah. We check in with Janeway in her ready room. She has changed up her Luke. Good news and bad. During this meeting with Chicote, we learn that food reserves are down 30% and she's cut 30% of her hair in solidarity with that figure. <laughs> yeah. They have a an M-class planet on long-range sensors that they think has uh, some promising readings, lots of proteins and amino acids, so that's good. They got to go check it out. I mean, a lot is made over the the many haircuts of a Catherine Janeway yeah. throughout the throughout the series. This Cause, being because Picard only ever had the one. It's true. I guess Cisco had two. He had the uh, medium, and then the, and he just went to shaved. I guess it made me wonder if they made a very specific choice to not give Kate Mulgrew the Genevieve Bujold hair 
which she now has in this episode. Like, yeah. she's got Genevieve Bajold's haircut. Do you think it's the wig? Do you think it, it could be the same wig? Can you just wear another person's wig and have it work on screen? I thought wigs were made for specific heads. I don't know. Right in. <laughs> Well, a lot of shade is thrown at this planet that Chakotay is proposing they go visit. It's yeah. uh, It may or may not have what they're looking for. They don't know that because the atmosphere is, uh, is so fogged up. They're only going to be able to tell if it's got what their ship craves uh, <laughs> by going there. And so they set a course for what they're calling Planet Hell. Planet Hell. What a name. It's a it's a place that Cybok would definitely not want to go. The exact opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. In fact, no one calls it Shakari. No one calls it the source. No one calls it heaven or Eden, Ben. What does the devil need with a starship? Klingons do not call it Quitu. <laughs> For the Romulans, it is most definitely not known as Vortivor, and the Andorian word is still unpronounceable. It may be the home of Veklar. The guardian of Great Thor, where the dishonored go when they die. The return of Veklar would be a great moment. Yeah, that would be awesome. Give me more Veklar. Yeah. Speaking of things that make terrifying sounds, we go from <laughs> Veklar to Kim's clarinet. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, uh, we're saved by the bell. Tom Paris rings his door. And uh, is surprised to find Harry Kim in there uh, practicing clarinet. That was you? That was me. Yeah, I mean, when the, when the scene begins, Paris can't seem to tell where the sound is coming from. I thought that was an interesting introduction to the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is there some sort of scattering field around the living quarters on the ship that would make it so that the directionality of sound would be suppressed a little bit i mean that harry be kim good... better hope that's what's going on because i bet he makes a lot of noise in his quarters with uh, the the yeah. various crew members he invites yeah. in there yeah not all of them are sisters <laughs> harry kim saved up replicator rations to to replicate this thing that means his clarinet is made out of chocolate or something <laughs> it's totally edible <laughs> Paris just takes a bite out of it. Nice, Harry. <laughs> Paris does that thing that uh, that comics hate. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, oh, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. Right. Which is what he does to Kim and his clarinet. Play me a tune, clarinet honker. <laughs> and so Kim, Kim does just that, but uh, Paris wants to switch the station pretty fast. He's not liking what he hears. Yeah, Paris is in a bad mood. I really like this scene. This is a scene we get to stay in for a long time. And I think that there's something kind of unusual about a main cast Star Trek character like going this deep into their inner struggle in this casual a way. I really liked it. I liked I liked just two buds like talking about feelings. Like Paris is saying like I have been really trying to just be a good friend of Kess and then having her in my arms it unlocked something in me and I like can't kick the thought out of my head and I really don't want it in there because she reminded me of my mother all right no doubt about it Kess Kess I know I know I know that that's like drama that this ship doesn't need and that I don't need and that she doesn't need am I making any sense here it feels like a reversal of Star Trek gender roles that we frequently get where 
two lady friends are talking about a third guy. Yeah. You know, it's nice to see uh, Paris and Kim chop it up here a little bit about uh, about Paris's secret feelings. Yeah. And uh, I, I think a funny scene, too, because, like, you know, like the argument that Tom Paris is making is uh, I'm... I'm really bumming out about this, so I need you to play some sad music to like set the mood. And <laughs> and then Kim insisting on playing chipper music. <laughs> Kim has a fairly insightful observation about Paris that is related to Will Riker's consent fetishism. Maybe Paris is a rejection fetishist. Yeah. With how with how often uh, he makes decisions that lead him right into those conclusions. Why do I do this to myself? Yeah, like there is a kind of like victimhood that he expects life to subject him to, and so he kind of like engineers situations to thrust him into victimhood in a way. Right. Kim is really honking on his clarinet like a. Uh, I mean, he hasn't played since being stationed on the Voyager. Yeah. And uh, his embouchure is still, like, super strong after all of his work with the Delaney sisters, luckily. so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's kept his lips really uh, malleable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also really liked, you know, just a subtle thing in the scene, but Frakes has the camera just kind of plunged down through the floor of the deck and uh, down into Tuvok's quarters, one below, where he's hitting the ceiling with a with a broom <laughs> handle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We cut to Neelix and Kess at dinner. And uh, really interesting performance here by Ethan Phillips, like straining against his inner feelings yeah. in the moment. Like being... You run into this sometimes, like like maybe you're just in your own head about a thing, but you still have to perform socially. Right. Neelix is performing socially in this scene, and it isn't until the very end of it that Kess realizes that something is very, very wrong inside him. She she sees through it finally. Such an interesting scene, too, because Kim and Paris are being really vulnerable with each other, and Neelix is trying to suppress everything. Yeah. And uh, that contrast really feels profound when you cut from one to the other in this rapid A way. And I really like the cut from this scene, too. It's it's something like we don't get a verbal acknowledgement of this. We're on to the next right yeah. afterwards when they arrive at Planet Hell. And I like that. I like wondering what's going on there. It's a scene that really moves and um, and feels important, but also like leaves you in that ambiguity of of not resolving itself. And the uh, at the on the bridge, they're looking at Planet Hell, and uh, they get interrupted by Doc Holliday, who admits that he's been. Uh, dropping eaves on the bridge crew. Whenever, uh, whenever they do anything, he's basically listening in to see if he can kind of get out ahead of the medical issues that may arise. And they feel a little their privacy has been betrayed or something. I am programmed to be discreet. I'm sure. Yeah, they feel that way because Doc Holliday was like, "Sorry, I'm a little late for uh, for arriving at Planet Hell. I was uh, just." Listening in on a very awkward conversation that Neelix and Kess were having over dinner. <laughs> you guys won't believe this, but Neelix still thinks she's standing up in closets with sailors. And they're like, really, Doc Holliday? That seems like a really dated term. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's less about 
the conditions on the planet that the dock is is providing liniments for them to use mm-hmm. uh, in an effort to solve them than it is the idea that the dock can be anywhere listening to anyone at any time. Yeah. The case he's making, though, is that uh, Planet Hell should really have been called Planet Itchy as Hell. Because mm-hmm. this uh, this mixture of proteins and amino acids in the atmosphere really going to irritate the uh, the skin of anybody that beams down there. Perhaps you'd like an analgesic cream? Is there any escape from the doctor as you know it? If you put your com badge in a drawer, do you think that that gets him out of your life? Or is he like ceiling cat watching you jack it? <laughs> I mean... In some ways, like, I guess I wouldn't mind because he's kind of a program. He can't feel titillation. Right. If he did, he would be doing nothing but banging Sandrine in Sandrine's. Yeah. Which he may be doing also, you know? Like, we don't yeah. know if he can be in there at the same time as he's in uh, Six Bay. Could he send the lower half of his body to the holodeck? <laughs> And then remain with his upper half in Six Bay to do his doctorly business? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they kind of around the horn on the bridge a little bit. The doctor having provided his cream, mm-hmm. uh, BLT confirming no transporting allowed. And uh, don't count on communications working on this one either. We're setting up the conditions for a difficult mission ahead. Yeah. And uh, from there we cut to Kim and Paris entering the mess hall. And this is awkward because... Kess is inside. I think I'll just eat later. The implication is that if a if a Kess is eating alone, you're going to want to sit next to her if you're her friend. Yeah. But uh, but Paris is coming up with a way to avoid her that involves work, and this just sets up a very awkward moment to follow. Yeah. the The takes that Frakes gets here are very funny because they're kind of like. You know, they're standing in the doorway. Kess turns around and notices them and waves at them like, um, I don't know, they're meeting up at the Grand Canyon after months of not seeing each other or something. I mean, Jonathan Frakes is such a student of the human condition, such an open-hearted person. I think he he can tell maybe more than most, you know, what, what a stranger might be going through, mm-hmm. what they might need in a particular moment. Yeah. And I think I think when you're around someone as receptive as he is, uh, you can't help but be drawn to them. Yeah, you just want to soak that energy up and and spend what fleeting time you might have in its <laughs> presence, really making the most of it. Yeah, I mean to give away an opportunity like that to to squander. Oh, to use one of your million words. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was using two cheapies. Yeah, yeah. But you could have upgraded to uh, to first class. I know. Yeah, you know I would have sat right next to Squander, Ben. You know that. <laughs> would have started a long conversation with that word. But, you know, in the scenario where you were on the plane and then somebody asked to trade seats with you or offered to trade seats with you and then you got to sit next to Squander, wouldn't you feel a little bit weird about it at that point? And Squander's already got the headphones in and is, like, doing something that is clearly work. So they're serving pasta (laughs) in the mess hall, and we're told instead of angel hair pasta, it's actual hair. It's hair. And red sauce. Yeah. It looks delicious. This has, like, that, like, suburban American spaghetti look to it, that it's just like a bowl of nudes with 
jar of prego dumped on top of it. Call the pasta police. But that can be really satisfying sometimes. The common joke thread with Neelix is that is is the expectation thread. The oh you expected this? Well instead it's this. Yeah. And it's it's pretty fun to have that joke layered on top of I fucking hate you and I want you to eat this gross thing. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure in my mind what threatening pasta serving would look like. But you get that here. <laughs> Ethan Phillips found that gear, yeah. man. <laughs> so the strategy is going to be we're not going to sit with Kess. We're going to make a, a play of, like, we've got very important bridge officer shit to discuss, and that's not really something Kess is privy to. So Kim and Paris are sitting down when uh, Chicote calls Kim up to the bridge. And now Paris is sitting there with his back to Cass. Cass is pissed that he is not sitting with her. Neelix is pissed that they are, like, making a show of not sitting with each other and, uh, you know, playing him for the fool. And so Cass storms out, Neelix boils over and comes and uh, splatters pasta into Tom Paris's chair. What the hell are you doing? What I like about this scene is how grounded in awkward reality it is. If you are taking this from the perspective of Neelix, and you are seeing two people that you suspect are hooking up treating each other in a sort of fake coldness, yeah. a performative coldness. Yeah, pretending to be strangers. It definitely would make you paranoid. And Neelix walks from behind the counter and challenges Paris about it. And then before you know it, it's a food fight. Yeah. They are brawling all over and totally soaked in sauce when they get called up to the ready room. Almost like the captain knows what they're doing. I mean, when you're rolling around covered in spaghetti sauce on a carpeted floor on a set. Yeah. yeah. All I could think about was the reset. The reset is brutal. Yeah. Yeah. My friend who is a customer for television in New York and I watched the Hurt Locker one time and there's a scene mm-hmm. where he's in his full marine uh, you know, field kit and he gets in the in the shower yeah. and is washing blood and bits of bone off of himself. She was like <laughs> thinking about it from a work standpoint, like how do you how do you fucking have like you probably have to have like 10 of that costume ready to go, ready for Renner to change into to do another take of that scene because that's how many times you're going to probably have to do it. What's fun is to think that, you know, not only the challenges that are inherent in this scene, but when we cut to the next scene after Neelix and Paris have been called into the principal's office by Captain Janeway, yeah. they're standing in a place with food stuck to their chest that could at any moment like peel off like a noodle falls off or a piece of red sauce like are they standing on top of a piece of tarp i don't know like it's so well done like i i almost feel like they might have molded like rubber pasta and like like the display outside a japanese restaurant yeah like like like, because it's because it's like jiggling and like doing a lot of the things you would predict except for falling off and it's really consistent from cut to cut yeah this scene is harder to pull off than i think the average home viewer might realize and it's really well done 
it makes me wonder if for continuity reasons you don't like put the two actors into into a couple of wheelchairs after the roll around <laughs> scene and take them directly to the next stage for this shot with Janeway. Yeah. I don't know any other way to do it. Yeah. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So what she has uh, called them up there to tell them is that they are going to be the two people going on the away mission to planet hell and the away mission has to be a shuttlecraft mission because of the weird uh energy stuff in the atmosphere uh, so it's kind of a lock-in at the rec center for tom paris and neelix i mean everything about the mission makes logical sense to pair them together these are the two right people for this job he's our best pilot and you're our expert on edible plant species in this quadrant but Janeway detects the awkwardness between them. There's coffee in that personal problem. Because they're both covered in spaghetti sauce. That's the obvious. Yeah. The more subtle is that they won't even look at each other. And she's like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> they can't wiggle out of it, though. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the episode, maybe it was the one that in- introduced... Reg Barkley in TNG where Jordy was like, yeah, like I just hate having right. him on my team and I can't get along with him. And Picard was like, find a way to do it. Like, yeah. like I don't have time to fucking solve your interpersonal issues with your fucking crew. It's not his job. It's That's a great callback. So that is basically where Janeway leaves it with them. She says, uh, like, like, get back to being cool with each other. That's an order. What slightly strains credulity for the rest of the episode is that they're both made to wear these uniforms throughout the mission. (laughs) Yeah, they never wash the pasta sauce off. (laughs) Yeah, they have to get right on that shuttle and go. She says, as far as I'm concerned, like Castro not shaving his beard until the revolution is over, (laughs) you must leave the pasta sauce on until your interpersonal problems are resolved. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they basically go from uh, from two-on-one meeting to a McLaughlin group. Issue one. To really make clear, you guys, I cannot emphasize this enough, the rules of this conflict <laughs> that we're about to get into. No transporting yeah. at all. Very difficult to communicate. All right? Remember this. But also, uh, probably not important right now or ever, a semi-regular window in the atmosphere that we could transport if we absolutely have to. But they may only last for a matter of minutes. So they blow out of this meeting, and it's like speed walking that uh, that everyone does to disperse, including like Paris speed walking past Kess. Yeah. Uh, and behind him, Neelix slowing up yeah. uh, when, when Kess wants to ask, what the hell happened? Kess has heard the rumors. I mean, she, yeah. she smelled the, the conflict brewing, which is why she hightailed it out of Neelix's restaurant in the first place. But now Neelix is ashamed of his actions and ashamed of all the marinara on his shirt. And he won't even give her the time of day. He won't explain himself to her. And she storms into Six Bay, just totally pissed off. And the doctor is like, hey, uh, are you sick or something? (laughs) I really love the blow-off transference that happens here. Because Kess gets blown off by Neelix in the scene before. <laughs> and then she wheels around and blows off the dock yeah, yeah. on her way to work. 
And he's like trying to like prescribe her medication or something. And she's like, fuck you. I was a little confused at how this scene played out for this reason. This entire conversation about people being attracted to Kes is happening between the doc and Kes. Yeah. The doc who is attracted to Kes. Who is also describing the ways in which that attraction can appear that that clearly was not observable to Kes. And the way that they talk to each other throughout this scene is kind of whispered in hushed tones, the way that, that two lovers would talk to each other. There may be a few things you don't know to look for in a man. If this were any other TV show, I might think that the doc was describing himself yeah. when describing Paris's change in states when he's around Kes. Yeah. It was that intentional? I don't know. It's a wild scene. I was I was very distracted also by the fact that like almost all of the dialogue appears to have been re-recorded later. And yeah. I don't know why that would be. These are shot very intimately, like they're it's mostly like very tight close ups in this scene. Yeah. So I don't know why they would have blown the audio. Like was there like an accident with the audio recorder or something? Like it seems crazy that they would have lost it. I mean, the big takeaway is that Kess has had too few reps to recognize when people are into her. Yeah. And uh, because he's a doctor, he should be trusted. He's uh, he's basically saying dudes getting sprung off of you is a incurable disease. <laughs> There's nothing I can do to help. There's no hypo spray I've stocked in here that'll do anything about that. Yeah. Cut to the shuttlecraft en route to planet hell, and it's so cold inside you can see their breath. This is Neelix <laughs> and Paris at the controls. Yeah. It is icy. It's icy. Uh, I thought that they did a nice job with the lighting, making it making it chilly lighting on top of being a chilly mood. They're out, out of communication range, so it's it's time to like open up the the conflict again. <laughs> This is an argument without a satisfying conclusion because there's an emergency that happens. Warning, vectored exhaust controls malfunctioning. With what we learn later about Kess and her wanting to break up with both of them if they were to survive the mission. Yeah. I kind of wondered if they would have found Kess's sabot in the (laughs) engines here. Maybe she's trying to take them both off the board. Yeah. Hence the word sabotage. Maybe it's the Dr. Sabo. He, he would be a suspect, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, but Hollow Sabo are going to disappear the second the uh, shuttlecraft leaves the six bay. Hollow Sabo contain the feet, I bet, <laughs> at the same time. So Neelix knows his way around a shuttlecraft a little bit. He has also uh, done the training program, though not with the expert tutelage of Tom Paris. So he's helping a little bit in the emergency crash landing, but like up on the bridge, they're like, ooh, uh, we're getting like pretty spotty telemetry from that shuttle, and it does not look great in terms of like their velocity and trajectory. The camera direction during the emergency as things spin out of control is insane. It's like- about as bangery <laughs> as the camera can get without just like completely losing your ability to see anything that's going on. It's so wild that it made me wonder how close the camera op came to falling. <laughs> it's just everywhere. It makes it almost difficult to to understand what's happening in the frame. It's so whacked out. Yeah, 
it's like a later period born film fight scene. You're just like, what the fuck even happened? There's a magazine and a pen and the guy's dead now. That was the scene in Goodwill Hunting that really affected me most when Matt Damon told the story about his dad mm-hmm. uh, having a magazine and a pen. <laughs> yeah. And a wrench mm-hmm. on the table <laughs> made him choose. Why the wrench? Just fuck him. That's why. So uh, we 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 catch up with the shuttle just pancaked on the on the surface of this planet. It yeah. is really fucked up. You're kind of surprising that a landing this hard is survivable, but they're like they're both fine. Like they're not even bruised. This looks like the frame of an aliens Star Trek the Next Generation crossover where the shuttle crashes on LV426, you know, like it's it's stormy and gray out there. Yeah. Uh, or not the last LV426 image that we get in this episode also. It's true. Paris and Neelix are fine. They're, they're <laughs> they have, great. They, they have plugged in the sand, and uh, there's no blood. <laughs> no, no muss, no fuss. They don't yeah. even have to get those, like, uh, silver mylar uh, jackets and pants out, like yeah. uh, Quark and Odo did that one time. They're starting to get the vapors from the vapors, and and all they have to defend against them is is like one of those uh, bottled water misters. Yeah, yeah. That rich people use. It's like bug repellent, and they're like, ah, it's not really working. Ah, this is the kind that doesn't have DEET in it. Fuck! <laughs> this is that natural shit. That doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, the argument they started on their way down hasn't ended because they can't agree on a course of action. Neelix is on team stay with the shuttle yeah uh to be rescued and paris is like we can't stay on the shuttle we're gonna itch ourselves to death they need to seek refuge in the star trek caves and because paris has rank he pulls that rank and that's where they go rank gets pulled and they they pack up and head out and it's a very it's like lv426 if there were agaves around (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, it's kind of funny to see like like plants that you see in like very hot, arid climates on this like dark, smoky cloud planet. Get ready for an adventure, and this just isn't any old adventure either. Steam is involved. Now that's a nice place to spend an afternoon. It's, it's truly planet hell's gold. They've got <laughs> down there. What? <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? 
especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. Yeah, yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Kes is uh, in her quarters at the bumming out table. Nothing cheers up a bum out like a like a clarinet player. Yeah. She sort of waves him away like he's some, some kind of fucked up mariachi. <laughs> His mood when he comes in is very funny because he's like he's coming in to say like, hey, uh, your boyfriend and the guy that you might be flirting with have been uh, lost and we have lost contact with them on the surface yeah. of this planet. But he's kind of like smiling at her. And I was like, oh, Harry, like, <laughs> give her a minute before you put the moves on. <laughs> I don't like it. Sort of back burner that potential there, Harry yeah. Kim. He's the one that Neelix is never going to see coming. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> you have plenty to do on the ship, buddy. Yeah. So he's explaining that, uh, hey, like, we're we're still working on this. Uh, but when we cut around, we, we don't see her face for, like, a long time in the scene. And when we cut to her, it's clear that she's been weeping and... It's, a, it's yeah. very incongruous, like, how, like, en- enthusiastic and smiley Harry Kim is relative to Cass when we see what her face looks like. I mean, the reality of her situation is very painful. The idea of seeing someone for the last time and that being a, a bad moment. Yeah. Like, you never want that to be the last time. So you understand 
the reason for tears. But you're right. Like, she pivots right into, I'm so going to dump those fuckers if they manage to live through this. Like, <laughs> you really get the bends emotionally from from what she's going through. But maybe that's another quality of her species. Like, if she learns very fast, maybe she processes emotion and trauma really fast. And and realizes when somebody's not the right person for her like i yeah like i don't want to be stuck to that dude for six days when my hands get sticky the next time right when i'm rocking back sack uh, <laughs> i want it to be around uh someone with a tight embouchure yeah so seeds get planted in this scene <laughs> yeah in more ways than one but uh bangers also get dropped in this scene mm-hmm. and um harry kim uh responds to chakotay telling the crew to head to battle stations. And that is a hard cut back down to the planet. We don't know what this battle station situation is because Tom Paris and Neelix are finding a Star Trek cave and uh, they enter it and like without even really discussing it much, just like shoot a bunch of rocks down uh, to block the exit. I guess just to like seal, seal themselves away from the itchy air. They'd rather asphyxiate than than breathe the mist out there. <laughs> they do that fun Star Trek thing where they uh, pull some rocks together and heat them up with the phasers. It's always a fun scene. I always want to see it, and I'm glad we got to see it in this scene. I got uh, yeah. like I they made a point of showing the close up of the phaser yeah. pointing at each rock and each rock turning red. Yeah, that's big fun. That's what you pay for. They start to argue again before hearing a sound in the dark. Yeah. Uh, Paris claims to have scanned this space for life forms and found nothing, uh, but uh, it appears he's wrong. And uh, the LV-426 vibes really start to peak, you know, real creepy in here, in these caves. I checked for life signs. There weren't any. There are now. We're going back and forth at a pretty brisk clip from here, from from orbit to planet hell and back again. There's a there's a ship that's attacked the Voyager in orbit and it's placed itself in between Voyager and the planet's surface. Hail them. They do not respond, Captain. Like there's a very brief attempt to communicate, but normally in a Star Trek space battle, there's there's shoot 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 stop and check out your wounds and then maybe try to hail again. Yeah. The shooting uh, recommences and then you stop and then ask the other person if they want to give up. Like there's none of that that subsequent communication happening ever. Yeah. There's no tomalock taunt. I'm, I'm saying this because I want to know what the bridge of the ship looks like. Just seeing what these creatures look like at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I I remember, like, the first time we saw, like, the bridge of a Ferengi ship, and it was just a mm-hmm. white void. <laughs> you can't rule that out here. You can't rule that out here, because, like, these guys these guys seem, like, not capable of building a ship based on... Can't do any worse than white void either. Yeah. Like, you've already reached bottom. Right. And Paris and Neelix have reached eggs, and they clearly have not seen Alien, because... They go right up to them and are scanning them, and one of them starts to open, and they don't sprint for the exits. Paris has spent enough time in Sandrine's to know that you uh, you drape a napkin over your head, and then you take that egg to the dome. <laughs> I'd say we're dealing with a sentient life form here, Nelix. Wow. Uh, and this is the puppetry we referred to. This is a uh, lizard baby creature. 
Wet bird lizard are three words that become so much worse when combined. <laughs> so gross. It looks like that thing they blew up inside Dexter Remick. Mm. Like, I, I bet they just took that puppet and, and added some scales. Yeah. They added dino DNA. <laughs> it's gross as hell. You really have to be a believer in the puppet, right? Yeah. There is a true believer that made this thing and is like, no, guys. We can we can light this thing and and not obscure it. We can put it center frame. You don't like the puppet? <laughs> I like the puppet. The I puppet's say, not strong, man. As much puppet as you can bring to bear on a sci-fi franchise, I'm here for. I love a puppet. The puppet's not strong. It's way stronger than the fucking Lululululu puppet. I think it's it's equivalent to Lululu. What? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like they just battered Lululu and didn't fry Lululu, and that's what you get here. Lululu, So up on the bridge, they're like, "Okay, we've got a bit of a dilemma here because we need to get Neelix and Paris. Pretty sure their ship has crashed, but uh, we also have this hostile alien that's not talking, standing in between us and the planet." So we're going to have to figure out a way to kind of gently shut down their weapons and get past them so that we can get into the atmosphere for this window in the atmosphere that they may be able to use the transporter through. This window seems contextually to be like an actual window, as if it can be blocked by another ship. Yeah. There, there's there's some sort of uh, hole in the atmosphere that the Voyager is trying to get to, <laughs> that uh, that the alien ship is blocking. Mm. Some sort of hole indeed. <laughs> yeah. Tuvok's got a plan for this. Yeah. And you know that plan's going to work. You are correct. You know what I'm realizing about this puppet, though, Adam, is that <laughs> its hands are the hands of, uh, of the butler character in Scary Movie 2. <laughs> The Chris Elliott character? Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, that's big fun. They did reuse those hands. I'm not sure in which direction. I better use my strong hand. I mean, I didn't pay much attention to the hands because all I saw was the was the tiny sticks operating them. <laughs> did you like, notice the uh, the mashed potatoes on the, on the fingers? Yes, I did. <laughs> Nobody can dip their hand into mashed potatoes unauthorized aboard a starship. I'd like to see the official Star Trek podcast make a Scary Movie 2 reference. (laughs) Hey. Paris, in scanning this gross out, is able to determine that it can think and walk. Yeah. Seems to be a sentient species. Take any biology class in, uh, in middle school and they'll tell you, thinking and walking, the two qualities of sentient life. Mm Mm-hmm. These brains were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. <laughs> Neelix uh, really forms a bond with this thing. He makes the case that leaving it behind may be a death sentence the way it is for uh, for a bird's nest to you and me. You don't it, just want to touch the eggs. Yeah. Well, and Paris is kind of arguing for, like, hey, like, we don't really know what the biological imperatives are here. Like, this may be a species where the parents go lay their eggs and, then, like, ditch the babies and never come back. Or they might come back but smell us on the baby and not want anything to do with the baby. And Neelix is like, fuck all of that. We're going to make sure that this thing is okay and gets to safety. Yeah, Neelix would be not someone to invite to an Ordoland dinner at all. He'd be a real bum out in that situation. (laughs) So, I mean, Neelix, true to his compassionate nature for this thing, like pulls it out of the egg, swaddles it. 
Yeah. And uh, begins heating it extremely low and slow. A <laughs> cooking technique that will have that meat falling off the bone in six to eight hours. Yeah. Weird choice to swaddle a, a lizard. I know, right? I guess if you put like a like a like a hand warmer packet in the swaddling with the lizard, that would have an effect. But otherwise, that's nothing. So Tuvok's plan at disabling the alien ship works, and we cut back to Planet Hell, where uh, this this gross bird thing does not want to eat the Starfleet communion wafers. <laughs> it does, however, like eating Neelix's swaddle. Yeah, and and this indicates that uh, that the sustenance that this thing needs is going to be outside the walls, because because what is it like it, the fabric's it, covered in the vapor that that was outside? Yeah, the itchy air got all over their clothes, and the and the baby wants to eat the itchy air. So right, they like by shooting the the rocks in front of the cave opening have have starved its its food supply. They're really going to want to open up this cave too, because uh, a newborn dump is ferocious it is just the worst thing yeah that'll funk the place up yeah <laughs> so yeah they they gotta go move some rocks and uh it's real touch and go like they're they're out in 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 uh in the atmosphere and it's real smoky and you you think that this baby is gonna have enough but uh neelix wants to like inject it with cordrazine and tom paris is like no we don't want to inject it with cordrazine it'll go crazy and start killing everyone that's tricky stuff. Yeah. So instead, he like he like concentrate. He uses the the hypo spray and is able to concentrate some of the atmosphere. It's way better than Neelix's plan, which was to gulp some air and then barf <laughs> it into this baby's face. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, they they get the baby back uh, back up on its feet, and they're just kind of waiting around for uh, for. Uh, mama to show up and and pick up the baby two straight episodes uh where a character is blowing something in another person's mouth oh yeah pretty interesting huh? sandrine was doing that last time wasn't she yeah what's that about i don't know they're getting really itchy though there's kind of like like three different ticking clocks right it's like is the baby gonna survive are neelix and paris gonna get fatally itchy and is the window gonna close like can voyager beam them out in time and they start they start to argue with Janeway like they finally get radio back up and Janeway's like okay we're going to get you out of there and uh, they're like no 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 we're like we're best friends now and we're trying to save this baby and we got to like like we got to buy ourselves a little bit of time did you hear what i just said mr neelix janeway is really put off by this <laughs> she's put a lot of work in taking the ship closer to the planet they they've lost track of this alien ship somewhere out there she does not want to to brook this delay any yeah. further. I really like that the uh, the detente between Neelix and Paris is about, hey, we're both kind of losers. No wonder Kess likes us so much. Right. <laughs> she really yeah. has a thing for, like, dead-end kids like, like you and me. There's only enough time remaining in this hole uh, as there is left in the episode. Yeah. Very elegant situation here. Yeah, so... They duck behind a rock, and an adult version of this baby comes around and is very excited to find the baby. This is one happy mama. And I love life! Do you love life? Oh, yeah. What do you think of this puppet? <laughs> I mean, like, I, w I, wanted to, I wanted to talk to one of these characters. I feel the same way as you. Like, if one of the 
if they'd been able to get them up on view screen or something and been like, hey, sorry for the confusion. We thought this planet was empty. Didn't realize it's where you lay your eggs. That would have been nice. I would have liked to see one of them talking. Shut your filthy bird mouth. Yeah, you do, eh? Because all we get is like... Paris tries to Zephyrum Cochran, this alien, and uh, <laughs> and just gets mutilated on the spot. Yeah. Does not go well, this first contact here. Yeah, and Neelix is like, boy, I'm glad he lilied me. <laughs> Cut to Voyager leaving the atmosphere with two bodies on the ground, playing the <laughs> Ooby Dooby song by Roy Orbison. <laughs> <laughs> One of those weird Star Trek episodes. Yeah, yeah. We lose two main cast characters, but uh, kind of amazing. They beam away before the parent alien breaks the child's neck after smelling Neelix's pheromones <laughs> on him. This, that's tough. We'll have to assume that uh, that was how it would have gone anyways. Hope the other two eggs uh, will be will be welcomed into the family. A Joyful reunion between Cass and Neelix in the transporter room. She gives him a big kiss despite his really off-putting facial rashes. Yeah, that's how you know it's love. Yeah. He and Tom Paris are are buddies. The the three of them are off to go uh to go share a bottle together and presumably uh you know, one thing leads to another and Paris and Cass do get to have a sexual dalliance just with Neelix there also. I mean, you know what the French are famous for. Yeah. You know what Paris is famous for. <laughs> yeah. Gonna go do it on the pool table at Sandrine's. <laughs> Gonna go fit some balls in pockets. And that's the episode, Adam. Did you like this one? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Uh, I did kind of like it. I, I mean, it's very like it's a, it's a silly episode, but it's uh, it's fun. I think good good character development on Paris and Neelix. I think um, it feels like the end of a chapter with the jealous Neelix stuff, which I think was getting a little long in the tooth. That's behind us now, right? I I really hope it is. Like, if it's not, bad choice by the writer's Uh room. But it really feels like they are, over the last two episodes, like, kind of finishing up the arc on that. So, Mm -hmm. um, and and very fun direction by Frakes. Some some really nice compositions. And I'm I'm pro puppet, (laughs) so I'm I'm here for the whole thing. Yeah, you are pro puppet, aren't you? I really am. I don't want to say that the quality of the episode rests on the puppet, <laughs> but I think the quality of the episode rests on how much you're vibing with the tone of it. Like this episode tells tells you fairly early on that it's going to be silly. Yeah. Don't don't take me too seriously. I'm going to be rolling around on the floor uh, covered in spaghetti sauce. Yeah. And so having experienced that early on, maybe you're able to process the whole puppet thing a little better later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional. Like, set me up with the marinara, <laughs> knock me down with a puppet. <laughs> and in that way, I don't, I don't hate this episode, and I don't think it's bad. And what's more, I want more episodes like this. Yeah. I want to meet more weird aliens. I want to land on more planets. The weirder, the better. Isn't it weird that, that this show is very not Alien of the Week? Yeah. Not at all. 
So far, not. And I could use a little bit more of that in my Star Trek lately. Yeah. Fun episode. Uh, do you want to see uh, what the priority one messages of the week are, Adam? Sure do. I'm going to go crack open that egg and uh, and see what kind of gross P1 spill out. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Then our first priority one message is of a commercial nature, and it goes like this. Studies show that Greatest Gen viewers are down for a podcast recapping a reboot of a retro property with a freakishly familiar format. (laughs) Are you karate kidding me? (laughs) Follows the Cobra Kai Netflix series and the Karate Kid movies. Yes, all of them. Wow. Hosts Jenny and Colin are your tour guides through the Miyagi-verse, asking the questions that really matter, like, do kicks get chicks? (laughs) How often can you fake your death? Is Karate Kid canonical back to the future? Wow. You too, you too can become a friend of Miyagi. So (laughs) to join this particular away team, subscribe to, are you karate kidding me? On Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, or hit us up on Twitter at... Karate Kid Pod. This is from Jenny and Colin. Wow. The hosts of Are You Karate Kidding Me? Are you karate kidding me? I love that Netflix show, by the way. Uh, Cobra Kai is big, big fun. I have only heard good things uh, about that show, but I have not watched. Uh, yeah. Do you think I need to rewatch original movies to get into it? I mean, I watched the original movies religiously as a kid and so i like i didn't go back to them i think they were fairly baked into my psyche <laughs> in such a way that i didn't need to if, if you're unfamiliar with the karate kid expanded universe yeah maybe it does that thing where uh where it's very self-aware of itself and its cheesiness and it it knows exactly how to how to play with itself and its characters, oh, given fun. that. I think it's it's really, really, it's really good. Well, maybe and the I like way it for me to do it is to uh, just just go along in order with, are you karate kidding me? Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. You watch the Cobra Kai show on Netflix, and then you subscribe to, are you karate kidding me? Adam, our next priority one message is from Michael, and it's to Cooper, and it goes like this. Crazy how sitting at the same table... At a group job interview, turned into a solid friendship, and the sharing of Star Trek podcasts from one slightly embarrassed airplane nerd to another. Nice. Hope we can see GGK3 colon STIV live together once everything calms down. Happy, probably very belated birthday. May you never forget it like I, Kern, did. <laughs> wow. July 16th was the target date on that, and we got real close. So uh, Michael Michael was wise and got, got the order in way ahead of time. Yeah, nice work, Michael. Boy, group job interview. Oof, I did one of those once. Did not get job. Yeah, they didn't mention whether they got job, but it sounds like they got friend. They got friend, and that's better than job most of the time. Yeah. 
Ben, our final priority one message is from Jacob. It's to Benjamin and Adam Jamin. <laughs> the message goes like this. I started viewing your podcast sometime in 2018, and I'm still catching up. Whoa. You've given my brain some friends to talk to <laughs> as I watch through the Stars Treks for the first time. Wow. It's 2021, and I'm just getting to your 2020 episodes. Good luck, past you. Thanks for being you. Pour one out for Ro Laren. Love from South Korea. Jacob doing a P1 from far away. Wow. Thank you, Jacob. And uh, still working through the back catalog. That's fun. So this is going to... uh, Jacob's going to find this one later. I feel like South Korea has like the greatest pop culture of any country right now. And it, it feels like a real honor for some of the someone that lives there to be listening to our silly podcast, you know? Yeah. I think I think we are as good as any uh, K-pop group at this point. We've we've got an army. They're the friends of DeSoto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if you'd like to uh, get a priority one message... No matter where in the world you are, you head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Book it now. Get it locked in for 2022. Yeah, put it in an egg and, and wait for it to hatch. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's special nutrients in the vapor over here that will keep it alive. Oh, I bet you've got nutrients in the vapor over there, Ben. <laughs> hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. I mean, Neelix is the instigator of the food fight, so I've got to give it to him. Like, that, he crosses the marinara line <laughs> and, and starts this war. He makes it a hot war yeah, yeah. between them that has been cold for too long. I think that you're right. Like, Neelix boiling over was so such a damn-breaking and it felt like such a long time coming like in any Mm -hmm. other context in star trek a character acting that out of control you'd have been like oh they're under the influence of an alien force or right something something in the ship's life support system is like causing everybody everyone to be hostile to each other or something but like with neelix it like feels really justified to the extent that everyone else in the mess hall like does not try and get involved and like break up the fight they're like, oh, yeah, they got to have this out. Yeah. There was something very funny about all the people that were watching and, like, not upset, really. Like, they were like, oh, here it goes. There's probably some replicator currency being traded in the background <laughs> oh, yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know God Gary is betting some francs. Taking odds. Yeah. Yeah. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, Adam, why don't you head to gach.biz slash game where the sword of Mornocles hangs over us, and uh, I will tell you about... it's going to be up to me, isn't it? Star Trek Voyager Season 2 Episode 8, Persistence of Vision. A mysterious force puts the crew in a delusional state that causes their most deeply buried thoughts and desires... To surface. Did you say and desires? And desires. Yeah, this is really some Naked Now vibes from this episode, Cap. I was thinking the same thing. Are we going to get a Voyager Shimoda? If we got a Voyager Shimoda, if there's a new Shimoda, that would mean Shimoda doesn't get mentioned in 
the greatest discovery or the greatest generation anymore. We cannot allow that. <laughs> we might not have a choice, Adam. I know. Wow. We didn't have a choice when Edward Larkin showed up. I feel like this is a significant moment yeah. ahead. And uh, the significance with we, which we will be watching it is governed by the dice that you have in your hands right now. This is almost too much to take. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. One square ahead. The space butthole dragging us back down into an nth degree episode. Three episodes ahead. Lies Mornhammered. Fuck. Any roll greater than a three gets us Mornhammered. A one sends us down to nth degree. A two is the only roll that can spare us from certain doom. <laughs> Very next episode. <laughs> Ben, the die is in my hand. I will now roll that die. There's, like, you're playing it up like there's lots of tension, but there's, like, really very little tension, because the outcome is all but certain. Ben, I have rolled a four. Wow. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It has thrown me all the way to square one. <laughs> Jumped us over. We're not doing Mornhammered, man. Wow. That's not how this game works. I and it took did not it took rolling that. the dice to realize it. But a four, just one after our one hundredth square, the Mornhammered square, back to one <sighs> is where we are. Man. Back, back to, to one, one in a regular old episode. I am I am shocked. I'm relieved. I bet people are going to be very surprised by this. I'm yeah. very surprised by this. I, I didn't think that's how the game worked. I didn't think it was how the game worked either. Wow. Man. I did it. You did it. Well done, Adam. <laughs> okay. I, I did not think that this show could continue to surprise me. Yeah. And it does. I'm just so happy to not be doing a Mornhammered episode next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happy and grateful, almost as grateful as I am to the Friends of DeSoto who make this show possible. Friends of DeSoto, go to MaximumFun.org slash join and, uh, and pay for the episodes they consume there by signing up for a membership. They do. Uh, sign up to support the show, keep it going, get tons of uh, great bonus content. I think uh, yeah. we're going to be putting some... Uh, some extra bonus episodes in that feed pretty soon. We're going to go back to the Santa Monica Mountains? Is that what you're suggesting? I think, yeah, I think we got to do a Santa Monica Mountains episode sometime soon. Mm. So, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say the same, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to hit the notes. I know. Hey, uh, thanks to Bill Tilly, our social media director, for running the at greatest trek accounts on instagram and twitter and moderating our twitch feeds when we do those and uh, just being a great dude and, and really uh like one of the biggest boosters of the show out there you know a lot of talk this episode about uh, about red sauce mm-hmm. red sauce and pasta you know who could really guide you through the journey yeah. of, of making what what some people call the mother sauce mm. on your stove uh, what a, people a, in The Sopranos call gravy. A sauce that will dazzle your friends and family were you to make it. Were you to have friends and family. <laughs> Adam Ragusea, the master of all things culinary, uh, is there to teach you how to do it. Teach all of us, really, 
how to make all the great foods. He sure is. Including red sauce. Go to YouTube, search for Adam Ragusea. He also made the original theme music for the program, riffing off the Picard song by Dark Material. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that is a little worried about retiring the drunk Shimoda drop. <laughs> It'll never happen. Not on my watch. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Well, that's great. We won't leave them with any suspense, Adam. <laughs> Showmanship. Make it show. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.